Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. This is episode 213. The title of it is Rick Answers Your Questions. I'm going to respond to some questions that some people sent in to me just to give you a list of what I'll be interacting with so you can determine whether you want to listen to this podcast or not. The questions were asked on abuse, parenting, divorce, bad churches, bad word choices, forgiveness, and personal conviction. These are some of the questions that were asked me. They started to pile up on me, and so I thought, well, this maybe the best thing that I can do is just devote a podcast to these questions, and, and that will help serve, serve our people. If you would like to discuss any of these things that I'm going to share with you in this podcast, you're welcome to do that. We have community forums and private forums. The community forums are free. Anybody in the world can access them once you create your username and password so that we know that you're a real person and you're not spamming us. Or you can go to our private forums, which are for those who support our ministry financially, either monthly or yearly. Either one of those will work, and you're welcome to ask a question about anything that I'm going to interact with in this podcast, or maybe you have something entirely different that would be fantastic. You can ask those questions as well. What I'm going to give you are the questions that were sent in to me, and then I will give you my response. Kimberly asks, will you stop your post or bringing too much conviction? The short answer is no. No, by the grace of God, I will not stop. Perhaps the Spirit of God is saying something to you. Now, my response here is tongue-in-cheek because Kimberly came back and she said this, please don't stop because I need to hear these messages. And I knew when she asked the question that she was asking in rhetorical jest, she didn't mean it. Uh, She was just, it was her way of saying, thank you, the Lord is using this ministry, and I I have some things that I need to work on. This is not unusual, and that's why I appreciated the question. We've had various types, uh, versions of this question for years. Uh, One lady wrote in, and from Florida, I think, and she said, do you have a video in my home? The perverse part of me wanted to say, yeah. Yeah, I I do, and thank you for all the data. It's really been helpful to us as we write our articles. It's not true. We've had other people uh, ask if I was writing about them. That was that was the one of the reasons that I started using Biff and Mabel rather than using names that are say more common, uh, because people well that's me. Well, no, it's it's not you. And so I went with Biff and Mabel, and so everybody's Biff and Mabel uh, because we were getting that question too. We get the, you're reading my mail question as well, and I appreciate that because it means that we're hitting the nail on the head. We're hitting the mark, and our resources are resonating with people. And so, Kimberly, to answer your question clearly, no, I will not stop, and thank you for writing in, and and I'm so glad that the Spirit of God, that He would take notice of any of us and work in our heart. Here's another question that was sent in. I understand that people work from broken hearts. As we serve others, our our hearts are broken and we have compassion for them. But then some people are not reasonable, plus they are cruel. What they are doing is abuse. So, Rick, when do you keep trying or walk away? By the way, I have the links for all the articles for the questions that were asked me 
I'm not going to share these articles in this podcast, but if you want to read where the question came from, the article that the person was reading and why they asked the question, you can do that. So attached to each question here in the show notes is the article from which they're referring to. And in the article I talked about, the most critical thing, or at least the first thing that you want to start with when you're working through conflict is that you want to work, as she says, from a broken heart. You want to have compassion. You want to work from a heart of humility, a lack of judgment and harshness and all those other things that can really complicate relationships. And she, So she said, I understand that, but what about some people that they're just not reasonable? They're cruel. What they're doing is abuse. And so she's asking, when is it the time uh, to keep on trying or to keep walking away? Solomon gives us some advice here in Proverbs 24, uh, Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. He says this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise, lest he be wise in his own ways. You see, you see Solomon going back and forth there. He's not, he's not flip-flopping here. These these wise words provide a framework for responding to others, and that framework sits under the header of wisdom. The framework here in Proverbs 26, 4, and 5, sometimes you answer a fool, sometimes you don't. That's the framework, and it sits under the header of wisdom. Now, what I mean by that is all responses to life and relationships calls for wisdom, each situation is different. And so this lady is asking me, yes, I understand I should have a compassionate heart toward my husband, but what he is doing is abuse. So when do I keep trying? When do I walk away? And that's why I've given you a flip-flop answer here, uh, taking Solomon's lead in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, because this falls under a wisdom issue. There is no way for me to know when you're supposed to stay or go the distance there are a few things there are a few things that I want you to consider though i mean i would have to be like in your home or in your church and working with you all and understanding your husband etc to be able to give you an answer so i'm not copying out here and i'm not trying to be evasive but i do want you to understand that this is a wisdom issue and we can't cookie cutter our responses but with that said if the person is harming you physically, you must leave. You see, in addition to physical abuse being a sin, which we understand, it's also against the law. It's illegal to physically abuse a person. And, and so if this is happening, that's why I don't, under, I don't know, you know what you mean when you say what they are doing is abuse. I believe you, but I don't know to what extent we're talking about here. And that's why I'm giving you both answers to your questions. Should you keep trying or should you walk away? But I'm saying very clearly now that if he's harming you physically, you need to leave because abuse is not just a sin. It is illegal and you need to leave immediately and you need to call the police. Now I realize that there are other types of abuse. And so it's vital for other people to be involved in your situation. And so maybe what you need to do is you need to get involved with your pastor or a spiritual leader in your church 
and have them step in the situation. What I don't want you to do is to confuse submission with being a doormat. It's not that at all. And there are a lot of women uh, in our Christian culture, for, for however they got there, they kind of equate submission to being a doormat. It's not. God made you in his image, and if a person is unkind to you, you must make your appeals to that person. If the person does not listen to you, and I'm talking to men, if it's a woman who's been abused, this goes all sorts of ways, parents, children. But if that person does not listen, then you go to your spiritual leaders and tell them. Now, I have written extensively about abuse and and church discipline. I have those links here, and I would encourage you to click on them and read. And so the question is, is kind of vague, but I do understand you're in a you're in a tough spot, and so if you are being abused physically, you need to leave. You need to call the police. You need to get your church involved. There needs to be church discipline involved. You need to get help. You need to get personal counseling. This is very difficult. Now, my article, as far as the article that you are reading, the point of the article is about your attitude toward another sinner, not the question that you ask me. And so do I do want to make sure that you don't miss the point of the article. Now, this happens a lot, that somebody will read an article and miss the point that I'm making in the article because they map over their experience, as this individual has done. They'll map their experience over the article and miss the point. And so while I'm a- answering your question according to your experience, I'm also saying do not miss the point that I'm making here. And if you want to read more about a right attitude toward mean people, then I have two articles here that are linked. You can read the one about my drunk, abusive father uh, that's linked here and how the Lord helped me work through that, and also my sister-in-law who killed my brother. I've written about revenge and having a heart attitude toward a person who murders someone who is close to you, and you can read that article as well. So I have several links here, and I would encourage you to read them. But you need you need specific on-site help so they can get into the specifics of uh, the question that you are asking. Another question, what happens for the boys of moms who are single through no choice of their own? What help and hope is there for them? It's from the question where I talked about the critical need for dads to be involved in uh, uh, children's lives, whether the child is a boy or, or a girl, that dads are vital uh, for the shaping of the child as the child grows up. And you can read that question uh, or that article because it's linked here. But then this person said, what happens for the boys of moms who are single through no choice of their own? What help and hope is there for them? Now, this type of family dynamic is is hard, no question. Being in a divorce home, which I assume this is a divorced home, I'm not sure, but the mom and the boys are alone without a father. And so I'm sad that this individual has this experience. I do want to caution this person, and I want you to hear me carefully about the statement of no fault of your own. Now, unless your husband died there will be some blame on you where you are now and how you got here. And as hard as that is to hear, you have to come to terms with what I just said. And there's two ways that you have to come to terms with it. Some folks live in paralyzing guilt as they examine and cross-examine themselves about what they did or what they should have done. And now 
they're living separated and living divorced, and they just go into this introspective condemnation. They're living with false guilt. And if you are in that place where you are overly condemning yourself, then you need to get some help. But then on the other side of the spectrum are folks who play the victim card, and they do not see their culpability and why they are where they are. And if you're not careful, like if you do have children, those children can become bitter too because of your attitude. This can lead to all sorts of sins like anger and bitterness and cynicism and and being slanderous. And the worst of all is the onset of blindness because the individual refuses to own their part in the, devi- in the demise of the marriage. And so when I hear a statement that we're, we're like this because of no fault of our own, well, okay, well, let's, uh, let's carefully walk that back and make sure that we're doing uh, self-examination. Now, as far as the question is concerned, the article is talking about the primary shaping influence in a boy or girl's life, specifically boys in this article. And after the home breaks apart, what is the advice to help the children overcome this deficit? The most vital thing that you can do is to have your children around God-loving, other-centered men. It's kind of like Titus 2, but speaking of men instead of women. You want, to, you want your children to have a godly male influence or several godly male influences. A grandparent uh, could work in this instance, perhaps a pastor or other godly men in the church. Uh, when they have men's cookouts or men's retreats or other men's Bible studies, you know, depending on age appropriate, of course, your, your children. But uh, talking about boys specifically, you want your boys uh, to hang out with other men who really love Jesus. You can also uh, have them over into their homes, you know, have them buddy up with other boys and then your son can go and participate in different things that this family is doing and can have that that male influence that is so vital for uh, these boys that the article was speaking of. A youth leader is possible. That could be an answer, but typically many of our youth leaders are single or they're married with no children or they have young children. Now, if that's the case, they are not great candidates for this kind of seasoned shepherding that I'm talking about. They can't, they can't, under, you, you can't know what you, what you can't know. And if you are a youth leader, it's not a strike against you at all. But if you haven't walked a child through the sex talk and haven't interacted with other teenage issues, you haven't interacted with empty nesting and, and the things that happen to uh, older people or as children that need that kind of influence, you're just not going to be able to help them in a practical way. You could give them biblical advice. And so typically a youth leader is not a good answer, but it doesn't mean uh, that the youth leader doesn't have a role to play. They do. And you want to get them involved with the youth as you can. The next question, how do you forgive someone who shows no remorse for offending me? especially if he or she is still bent on hurting me continually. It's from the question where I was interacting with this idea of attitudinal forgiveness. There is transactional forgiveness where the person comes and you interact with them. They're asking you a legitimate question. And uh, the question is, will you forgive me for whatever it may be? 
and you transact that forgiveness, and so you respond by forgiving them. But the question is, how do I forgive someone who shows no remorse for offending me, especially if they're still bent on hurting me continually? Well, then we're talking about attitudinal forgiveness. Attitudinal forgiveness is different. It, it is just talking about your attitude, having a heart of forgiveness, even though you cannot transact it. There are several instances where this happens. I want to share four of those with you to where it's not possible to transact forgiveness with another individual. For example, the offender is not asking for forgiveness, which is probably uh, what this question questioner here is asking. If they're not asking for forgiveness, you can't forgive them. You don't have the power. You're not God. You don't have the power to release them from their sins. We, we are released from our sins when we ask. Another instance where you can't transact forgiveness, but you can have trans where you can't transact forgiveness, but you can have attitudinal forgiveness. Let's say that the f- offender is dead, and I, the article that I referred to earlier about my drunk dad, uh, he died in 1978, I believe, and so I, it's not possible for him to ever ask me forgiveness. But do I want to be captivated by his sin? No. I don't, and so I have to work through an attitude of forgiveness. And so one area where transactional forgiveness is is needful, the offender is not asking for forgiveness. Two, the offender is dead. Number three, you don't know where the offender is, though the offender is alive. You can't. You don't know where the person is, and so it's just not practically possible. But again, the key here is that you don't want to be managed by what someone else has done to you. A fourth instance is in the case of sexual abuse. It'd be exceptional to recommend that you you put the victim and the pervert perpetrator together uh, for reconciliation. It could be traumatizing to create a situation where the victim and the perpetrator are together to talk about what they did. I just do not recommend that. Uh, that's that would be a horrific thing to put on a, a victim of sexual abuse. But what you do want to talk about is this idea of transactional forgiveness to where you can develop a heart attitude toward the person so that you're not captivated. I have an article here on attitude on forgiveness, which you can read. Now, the second part of this question, I don't want to dismiss it. Uh, the, the person asks, Uh, especially if he or she is still bent on hurting me continually. Well, then I want you to, if he's still hurting you continually, then you need to follow the advice earlier, the earlier question about abuse. And so you can uh, run the podcast back and listen to that again or jump here in these show notes about this question where the lady was uh, asking that, uh, it, do you walk away or do you keep trying? And so you need to listen to that. You don't need to be in a situation where someone is hurting you continuously. The next question begins with honest statement and question. Kind of like that little preface there. The writer says, I hear too often in conversation folks minimize hell's reality, its intensity, its eternity, and in effect the urgency those three elements ought to give to evangelistic efforts, hell's reality, hell's intensity, and hell's eternity. Do you believe folks using hell as hyperbole or metaphor, like I've been to hell and back, adds to that effect by making an inaccurate statement about 
hell, the real place only God creates. Now, that the, this question came from a quote that I posted on social media from Jordan Peterson, and I wasn't thinking about this type of question when I posted the quote. I was so uh, enamored with the quote. It was so good. Uh, I'm a wordsmith person, and when someone says something real catchy or they turn a phrase in such a way, I, I really captured by that, and it, it, it provokes me to think in a very good way, and, and I like something that Jordan Peterson said, and so I put it in a quote where he mentioned the word hell in the context of what this questioner is asking. I agree with what he's stating in his question, by the way, and I don't use the word hell in any context other than to talk about the real place. The reason that I don't want to equate anything to hell is because, well, of exactly what he is saying. It downgrades the reality. Though, I was not thinking about that when I was quoting another person, so I do see the contradiction in what I did, even though that is not what I believe. There are a few words that I choose and use carefully. I'll give you five of them because I was actually thinking about this the other day, unrelated to this podcast and unrelated to this question, but there are some words that I don't use or I use them in certain contexts, and I'm pretty determined about that, even though, let me say this, I don't want to be the word police, and I don't want to go word police all over you. S sometimes when you make statements about what you believe, uh, other people, especially if they're given to fear a man, uh, that becomes debilitating to them, and now when they're around you, uh, they don't want to get caught using that word or doing that thing that you don't do. I'm not like that. I'm really not. And you can use these words pretty much however you wish. We may talk about it. But I'm not the word police. I'm just giving you a preferential perspective on here's five words that I'm very careful about how I use them. Uh, hell. The word guys, you guys, sorry, I'm sorry, hate, and the word proud, I'll explain. And I also realize I'm not rigid about these words because like what my questioner is asking, I use the word hell as I was quoting somebody else. But I do try to remind myself when I use them in an unhelpful way as this person is asking me. I don't use the word hell because of what I've already said and what this person's asking. I use it in the right context because, honestly, I just don't want to equate anything with it because it downgrades it. The, the significance of it, the sobriety of it, the eternality of it, there's really nothing that compares, compares to it, so I don't like using the word hell like that. The word guys, you guys... Uh, typically, and what I'm talking about here, people will use that word when you talk about male and female. And so when I talk to my children, I don't say you guys. If, I talk, if I'm talking to a man or a woman in marriage counseling, I don't say you guys. Now, there's a whole, uh, there's a, there's a whole uh, warehouse full of words and discussion. I mean, there's so much banter and so much noise on the Internet today about gender, gender confusion, misgendering, and all this kind of nonsense and but but within all of that, there's a lot of seriousness and there's a lot of things that we need to pay attention to. And for me, a, a girl is a girl and a guy is a guy. 
and guy historically means uh, it means male gender. It means a guy. It doesn't mean a girl. And so when people are together, or if I talk to a group of people, I don't say you guys. I just don't. I try not to. I really try not to because I, I want to be specific on this issue without making other people paranoid. Uh, and if you, I say you all, and actually that's where us Southerners, we actually <laughs> we got it right. We got it right. Uh, you all. Or I'll, I'll talk to my children. I'll just say, hey, children. Uh, but I don't use the word you guys. Sorry. Uh, in the context of I'm sorry, uh, that's a big one for me and because it's been transformative for Lucia and I and our, our family as well, is that we just don't, in fact, I've written a, a digital book on our website in our store. You can find it. Don't ever apologize. Don't ever say I'm sorry because of this idea of forgiveness that it is such a big deal. The, the other word is hate. Uh, I use hate very rarely because it's such a strong and harsh word. I hate sin. I hate the devil. You know, I hate things like that. But I hate ice cream. It's, it's kind of similar to what the band is talking about with hell. Uh, hate is a very strong word. And I hate you. I mean, we want to be, well, in my view, we need to be very careful about the use of hate. And then the word proud. I'm so proud of my son. I just don't like that. I, I really don't. I'm the proud parent of, as we see all these bumper stickers, I am so proud of our team. You'll hear sports people talk about. No, uh, what I would say to my children is I'm so encouraged by you. You are such an encouragement to me. I don't use the word proud, uh, similar to the word hate, similar to the word hell. Those are words that really, what it t attaches to them is very serious. Final question. You said if this church is preaching the gospel, if a church is preaching the gospel, you can rejoice in that. Yes, you can, out of Philippians. And if they are right on the gospel, it's not a wrong church. You're only struggling about preferential matters. That is a quote from me, from an article uh, uh, here about how to leave a legalistic church. Legalism is bad, but if the church is preaching the gospel, it's not necessarily a wrong church. What you're struggling with is preferential matters. But the question is, what about a church where the preaching, where they are preaching the gospel, but the pastor is controlling and abusive? Now, when I hear a question like this, the thought crosses my mind as to whether it's a serious question. And I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. The reason I say this is because the answer is so apparent. If a pastor is controlling and abusive, the answer is so apparent. And so I don't mean, I don't mean this disparagingly at all. I think sometimes that people ask questions rhetorically because they just want to vent. And I, I get that. But they already know the answer. But I'm also aware that, that what is apparent to many people... What is apparent to you, if your pastor was abusive and controlling, is not evident to all. And so let me be clear. If your pastor is abusive, run away from him. That's as clear as I can be. If your pastor is abusive, run away from him. Find another church. Ask someone to help you work through it. I have written many articles on abuse. In fact, I was just looking at the podcast for my Article, Eight Signs of Spiritual Abuse. I don't go back and look at my articles necessarily. I don't follow the numbers. But when I pulled this article up to link it here, it said it had, had 12,000 listens just on the SoundCloud track. That doesn't count iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Tuned In, et cetera, Google Play, et cetera. Just on the, on the SoundCloud, there were 12,000 listens to this article, Eight Signs of Spiritual Abuse. This is a thing. 
And so I've written a lot of articles on abuse, and I would encourage you to jump here on these links under this question and read some of them. Please do that. If possible, you want to position yourself to help this pastor and the church. I'm going to presume that the pastor will not want help. And similar to what I was talking about earlier with sexual abuse, you don't put a victim of abuse uh, with the perpetrator of abuse. And so I want to caveat that carefully. But most definitely, the pastor needs help. And there have been situations where the people who were abused were able to help the pastor. It might not be that way in your case. But somebody needs to talk to him. He needs help. But more than that, there may be some church members that need your help as well. If he is abusive, as you say, you're not the only one affected by it. Maybe the Lord will use you to help others. Let me make a note to the questions that I've just shared with you and the responses that I have given. I have a bunch of internal links inside these show notes. This is episode number 213. Rick answers your questions. I have a ton of links embedded here, and I would encourage you to take this article and just use it uh, and read up on these various links, and you can do some deep dive studies. We also have links to our free forums, our private forums, our coaching rooms. We have a link to find a counselor here. We have our entire article page laid out for you. There's a link where you can read or see all the titles or all the topics to our articles in one glance. So let us know how we can serve you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.